Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Football might be over, but the NBA, college basketball, and the NHL are in full swing. And the only place you should be betting on these sports is at betonline.ag. BetOnline even covers awards, TV shows, and reality TV. BetOnline has hundreds of props with real-time odds on almost anything you can imagine. And of course, the 24-hour casino. Head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. That's betonline.ag. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. All right, folks, this is uh, Jeremy Evans, your host of the Believe in Sports Law podcast via the Believe Podcast Network. Today is Monday, March 8th, 2021, and this is episode 10 of season three. We have two very special guests with us today. We have Rafi Cantor and Ben Stein, who are the creators of the Bolted podcast, which is all about the San Diego Chargers leaving San Diego and going for L.A., it's a terrific podcast that is going to be uh, going live uh, in a couple of weeks, I believe. But we have the, the founders of that pod of, and the host of that podcast here with us today, uh, two amazing uh, individuals. And so uh, we will bring them in now. So uh, Rafi, uh, Ben, welcome to the show. Thanks for having us. And I, I just want to note, uh, listeners can actually uh, listen to Bolted tomorrow. It comes out March 9th. The first two episodes will be up. Thanks for having us. This is really exciting. Awesome. So Rafi, Ben, um, I was fascinated. I listened to the, to the, you know, the commercial about the show and kind of like the highlights of it, the trailer, if you will. And, um, it sounds amazing and you have some really great guests. Can you, so you can kind of tell us about the show and, um, who you've interviewed and, and then maybe, uh, talk a little bit about sort of what your guys's conclusion was, or maybe like highlight, you know, highlighted points from it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so uh, we started out 15 months ago uh, in a very different world uh, in uh, Ben's bedroom down in San Diego. I live in up here in Los Angeles. Uh, and it was one of those kind of things where I came to him and I was like, I think this could be cool. I have no idea if it's going to work. This could just be a lot of work for nothing. And he basically was like, whose car are you taking? Or whose car are we taking? And I was like, all right, great, cool. So um now it's you know march 2021 we've interviewed 48 different people um we talked to uh almost a dozen players um former chargers um we talked to former staff members from the team um we talked to politicians two mayors in southern california two city council members city attorneys uh lots of journalists who covered the team cover local politics um, and also lots of like academics and economists that were able to weigh in on the more uh, technical side of things uh, from a policy standpoint, and also were able to kind of contextualize things and explain things in a way that, at least speaking for myself, were much easier to understand, uh, because this is a complex topic. Um, it's a very long history. The Chargers uh, leaving San Diego was about a 15-year struggle, and, uh, you know, with a with a very contentious result. Um, so, uh, yeah, I, I think it was, uh, definitely a labor of love. Um, and, uh, I don't know if Ben wants to weigh in a little bit more about the specific people we talked to. Sure. Yeah. Um, just, just hopping off of that. Um, it, it really was a labor of love and, and it's 
been really fun to be able to put together this uh, podcast about the story that really did mean a lot to us personally and just like about who we are. Um, it, for people who have listened to the trailer, you will be able to hear a few, you know, pretty important Chargers voices. Um, we, we interviewed Ryan Leaf, who uh, was, you know, number two overall pick in 1998. Um, uh, who else do we have in our uh, trailer? We, we talked, like Rafi said, we talked to uh, a few of the San Diego uh, politicians. We talked with Micah Geary, who has uh, played a very important role in many different facets of the Chargers. Uh, we talked to all of the different San Diego Union Tribune sports writers. So um, just everybody who kind of had that firsthand experience that while Rafi and I might have been able to do a lot of the research and, and maybe experienced in a different way at that time, these are the people who were right there handling it. Wow. Well, that's awesome, Rafi and Ben. So um, what would be some of like the highlights you take away from the show? Uh, obviously, I want to respect the fact that the show is going live on March 9th um, and don't want to give away, but kind of tell us maybe a little about the structure of the show, how many episodes it's going to be, and then just, you know, give us some highlights, you know, maybe some, some memorable things that uh, you can kind of tease the show with. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so um, I'm a, a big believer that the past is prologue. Um, and so to tell this story, um, you know, we could have easily started in 2015 when the when the Chargers, the Raiders and the Rams were first all kind of going headfirst into the L.A. market. Um, and, you know, talk about kind of the that, that, that was kind of the climax of this struggle. And it's the part that people remember the most. Um, but we wanted to go back basically to the very beginning um, to, uh, you know, I think the first date we reference in this show is 1851, uh, which is uh, when San Diego was incorporated as a city in, in California. Um, because one of the things you have to understand about this story is the relationship between San Diego and Los Angeles. This is not something that began uh, a sort of animosity that began when the Chargers moved. This is something that's been a thing since these two cities were founded. Um, you know, San Diego, for lack of a better word, has a, a little bit of a little brother complex when it comes to Los Angeles. Um, and, excuse me, ben and, ben and I were both born and raised in, in San Diego. We grew up hating Los Angeles, absolutely hating Los Angeles. You, you were just kind of taught to, uh, you know, it, it, everything about LA was everything that San Diego was not. Um, and that is not something that started because we were just bitter San Diego Padres and, and San Diego Chargers fans. That is something that is ingrained in the history of the city. Um, and so we kind of start there uh, in our series. Our series is six episodes. Uh, and, uh, you know, the first episode is just kind of introducing this relationship between these two cities. And also, I mean, the most important fact is that the Chargers did not start in San Diego. They started in Los Angeles and they came to San Diego in 1961 kind of with their hat in their hand because they couldn't sell tickets in LA. And uh, so San Diego was taking in the Chargers as LA, LA's rejects. And it started this really interesting love story between the franchise, which was, has had historically good teams, but was never great, never won a Super Bowl. And this city that again was, has this little brother complex and 
you know, from there, we kind of take it to the second episode, which is all about the Spanos family, um, which was a story that I did not know too much about. Um, I knew the Spanos is obviously in the background, um, but I didn't know how they made their money. I didn't know what kind of owners they were when they first took over the team, how that family has evolved. And so we talked to dozens of people in that episode. Um, and from there, we kind of go into the third episode is a lot about San Diego's politics and what made it kind of this unique city where uh, this story could only happen in San Diego um, because of the political character of the city and um, some unfortunate um, dealings in the past that put San Diego in a really compromising financial position where compared to other cities, they could not uh, invest in a new stadium. Um, and then the back half of the series is kind of the traditional fight uh, to keep the Chargers in San Diego that most people are familiar with, the one that started in the early 2000s and, uh, and goes from there. Um, and I think it's really important to have that historical um, information and, and uh, prologue when you go into the series because then you really understand the context in which a lot of these kind of uh, crazy and uh, nonsensical things started happening, in, especially in terms of the rhetoric that was being used. Uh, so, uh, yeah. Oh, that's great. That's great, Rafi. How about you, Ben? Any additional thoughts on that? Yeah, you know, uh, the one thing that I keep telling people, uh, like friends and family that, that have asked me that question uh, that you mentioned of, you know, what have I learned or what, what am I going to take away? I, I, Rafi mentioned that we grew up in San Diego. I was a diehard Chargers fan. And then these last few years have been really difficult for me just to under, like, process and understand who, who I am and, and what I, what my connection to the team is at this point. And the thing that I, I've, I think I learned from doing all of the research and, 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 and doing everything with this podcast is, is that I, I really do like the, where the chargers are, are going from, from here moving forward. And I think that a lot of people's, I, I hope that a lot of people are going to be able to understand why the Chargers moved to LA. And I, and I think that people might be able to conceptualize it a little bit better after listening. That's awesome, Ben. Yeah, that was kind of, to your and Rafi's points, I think that would be something that having not even watched the show or listened to the show yet, uh, that would be something I would take away from it as well, I think, just knowing the history and knowing where this is going. You know, it, it, is, it is funny. You guys mentioned, so Rafi, you're here in LA now. Um, and then Ben, you're in San Diego. I sort of have an interesting perspective on this because I was the opposite. I grew up in LA, grew up a Dodgers fan, grew up a Lakers fan, the whole thing, moved to San Diego for law school, spent nine years down there in school and running my practice and then moved back to LA. And there's something about, you know, I always preach this idea of geography, branding and community in terms of like success and obviously, you know, Rafi, you moved to LA for the geography aspect. If you want to be in entertainment and sports, there's something to be said about being in LA and being in that marketplace. Uh, but it's, it's interesting to hear your guys' perspective because I definitely got that when I moved to San Diego is the, the amount of hatred towards uh, LA sports fans. I never forget, I began writing for Dodgers Nation when I was in uh, San Diego and people would give me so much grief over writing. And it, my articles were never biased. They were never like Homer articles, as Vince Scully would say, they were just like, they were just 
about content. It was about analytics or it was about uh, deal making and business, which we'll get into a little bit later in the show. But really cool to hear your guys' perspective on that and really excited uh, for that show. Um, and I'll look forward to listening to it on March 9th and when it goes live. Uh, again, it's called Bolted. And it's about the San Diego Chargers leaving for Los Angeles from San Diego. Now, I want to switch gears a little bit here. I want to talk a little bit about, uh, Rafi, let's start with you, your, your, your background and kind of what you're doing now. Um, obviously, you grew up in San Diego, but I believe you're a showrunner now at Netflix, right? Or a showrunner assistant at Netflix? I, I work for a showrunner, yeah. Nice. Very <laughs> I, cool. Uh, yeah. So I, I, um, I work for a writer-producer named Alexander Wu. Um, he wrote on True Blood for forever for uh, most of the show's original run. Uh, and uh, since then, uh, he went over to make a show uh, on AMC called uh, The Terror Infamy that I got to be a part of working for him uh, and being kind of under his wing. And that was an awesome experience, um, you know, going to uh, uh, we shot the show in Vancouver, Canada. Um, and that was uh, I was there for six months on set every day. And that was a really, really cool experience. And, uh, since then, uh, Alex has signed a deal at Netflix. Um, he is, um, working on a show there with the co-creators of game of Thrones, David Benioff and DB Weiss. Um, that is, uh, based on a trilogy of Chinese sci-fi books called, uh, the first book is called the three body problem. Um, and it got a little bit of notoriety in the, in the U S when it came out, it has kind of a, a cult following, um, but that will be coming out, uh, in Netflix in the coming years. And that's, that's I'm really, really excited about that. That's awesome. Um, and Rafi, just sticking with you really quick on that. And we'll go to you, Ben, uh, what's kind of like your sort of vision for the future in terms of, are you kind of looking to stay with Netflix or are you going to be moving on to something else? And I mean, frankly, from my standpoint, I think the, these two go hand in hand, your experience with Netflix and being a showrunner's assistant and doing this podcast, this, this podcast could clearly be. Uh, some derivative work would be to turn it into a television series or a documentary or, you know, something like that. So hopefully that's where you guys are going with it. And hopefully I'm not spilling the beans either. <laughs> um, it's, it's something that, you know, uh, it's a bridge that will cross when we'll come to it. Uh, you know what I mean? I think we just want to get the podcast off the ground first. Um, it's something we've certainly thought of. Um, I've always been uh, fascinated by the podcast space. I'm a, I'm a avid probably detrimentally to my health podcast listener. Um, and I'm a really, really big believer in the uh, documentary form of the podcast uh, stuff. You know, uh, one of the, the biggest influences for this show was um, the, uh, the Sterling Affairs, which was the season uh, of the 30 for 30 podcast done by Ramona Shelburne on ESPN, um, talking all about Donald Sterling because, uh, and uh, his downfall as the owner of the Clippers. And one of the things I really appreciated about that show was um, really coming again, the past is prologue. Um, you know, you can't just start with these tapes leaking and then just tell the story from there. You have to go back to Donald Sterling being this, you know, kid, uh, you know, young uh, Jewish American kid from Boyle Heights in Los Angeles, a neighborhood that has changed a lot. And growing up in that mindset of kind of being ashamed of who he was uh, as a child, uh, you know, his dad was was not successful and everything and him always wanted to change that mindset. And that became who he was. And I think that for us, that was a big influence of like, we, again, we just can't start with the conflict. We have to go back and talk to people about why this is all important and why this all matters. 
Um, so that was a very roundabout way of, of answering. I'm always fascinated by the podcast podcast space. I'm, I'm going to stay fascinated by it. Um, but I love the work that I do. That's cool. That's cool. Uh, you know, one quick comment and we'll go to you, Ben. It's interesting because podcasting is a lot like maybe the fireside chats used to be when the president would give those back in, you know, the 1930s and forties, or, uh, it's almost like radio, but it's different in the sense that it's a little more engaging. Um, it's more accessible. It's easier to access that sort of thing. It's kind of like movies and television these days with streaming It's just easier to access. So, so Ben, how about you? Um, what are you currently working on besides the show and kind of had, what was your process in getting, getting to the point of getting to this show? And then after you talk, we'll go to a, a quick commercial break. Sure. So I, uh, a little background on me, I graduated, I got my degree in journalism and, um, mass communications from San Jose State. And uh, I moved back down to San Diego looking to start a career in sports journalism. Um, and uh, that's really difficult uh, to do. Apparently a lot of people wanna do that. And uh, after you know a couple of months of, of trying to get a job doing that, Rafi reached out to me. I, you know, I, I kind of dabbled in some podcast stuff with some friends and tried to learn the, the medium. And, and Rafi reached out to me with this idea and that's that's really been the last 15 months of my uh, of my life um, has been bolted, and um, I, I'm hope you know you're kind of talking about it with Rafi. I'm I'm hoping that this kind of transitions to uh, the next step in my uh, sports sports journalism career. I'd say, um, but yeah. Oh, that's great. No, well, thanks, Ben. Uh, so let's let's take a quick commercial break, you guys, and then um, we'll come right back and talk a little bit about the uh, NFL's uh, financial model. I know you have some interesting thoughts on that, Rafi. Want to give a brief moment to talk about our newest sponsor, eBay. Whether rare, dead stock, or the latest release, find the exact shoe you're looking for. As the original sneaker marketplace, eBay is the place to go to grab your newest pair of sneakers. With eBay's authenticity guarantee, your sneakers are meticulously inspected by independent professional authenticators. A team of experienced speaker, sneaker authenticators verify the box, logo, stitching, and dozens of other inspection points. Each sneaker also receives an authenticity tag that includes a digital stamp of authenticity. And it also protects sellers with a verified return process. And for sneaker sellers out there, eBay has eliminated selling fees on sneakers of $100 or more, making it free to sell your your shoe collection. Go to ebay.com slash sneakers today. eBay, the world's best destination for discovering great value and unique selection. All right, guys, we're back. So uh, let's sort of, the last part of the show, let's talk about sort of the NFL's financial model. I know you have some interesting thoughts on that, Rafi. So uh, let's, uh, let's, hear what, let's hear what you have to say about that. Yeah. Um, so this was something that when we started doing the show, I, I definitely wanted to learn more about. I, I knew generally, but I didn't know a ton about. Um, and uh, because obviously, you know, the primary motive for moving a sports franchise is money. You know, there's no uh, there's, <laughs> sports are a business. Professional sports are multi-billion dollar business, the NFL specifically. And so um, we talked to uh, a lot of really interesting folks. One, one of the people that I'm the most proud of speaking to, and I think had we had the greatest conversation about was uh, a man named Jim Steig, who uh, was 
a uh, the senior vice president of special events at the NFL for 26 years and then left in 2004 to come work for the Chargers and was the Chargers chief operating officer from 2004 to 2010. So he's kind of like right on the nexus of like everything we wanted to talk about. Um, and he's the guy that many credit for turning the Super Bowl into what it is today, the biggest sporting spectacle in America, certainly, and maybe the world. Um, and, you know, one of the things that he talked about was, you know, he's very proud of uh, the economics behind the Super Bowl. And, and, you know, he was touting a lot of the benefits that it brings to local economies. You know, they, they always talk about economic impact of, oh, we held the Super Bowl in San Diego and it brought $350 million to the economy that it normally would not bring because you don't normally have a Super Bowl. Well, uh, one of the things that we uh, came to understand was we talked to a dissenting voice, um, a uh, academic named uh, Victor Matheson. He's a sports economist who has made a lot of uh, his notoriety about looking at the numbers behind the major professional sports leagues. And he's been, you know, especially critical of the Super Bowl. Um, and one of the things he says is, you know, essentially that uh, these numbers are not necessarily inflated from a, uh, you know, lying perspective, but that they're very much exaggerated. Um, because if you look at, you know, historically, uh, if a city holds a big convention, like the, you know, uh, ophthalmologist convention, biennial convention or whatever, those tend to have, if you were to use the same numbers as a, uh, as the Super Bowl does, as the NFL does in, in calculating economic impact, those conventions would also have hundreds of millions of dollars of impact. Um, the difference is that the NFL receives lots of benefits from local cities and economies that other places, that other conventions and other events do not. They get all of their ticket revenue for free, no taxes. Um, all the concessions they sell, no taxes. All of the hotels, the buses, the security those are provided either free or at cost. There was a, a, a bid book that the NFL leaks, uh, excuse me, the NFL uh, sends to cities who want to host the Super Bowl. In, uh, when the Super Bowl was in Minneapolis a few years ago, uh, that bid book leaked. And uh, the phrase at no cost to the NFL appeared over a hundred times in the document. Um, and so what you see is that um, it, it, it led to a larger conversation that we have in this show about what the role of the NFL and of sports teams uh, are in our lives, you know, these private enterprises that are treated like public goods. And it was something that uh, was at the heart of this conflict about the Chargers moving was uh, the fact that we hold a lot of sentimental value in sports franchises. We get attached to sports franchises, but we don't get attached to other businesses in the same way. You know, I, I, one of the examples I say in the show, it's like people in Chicago are not walking around when United Airlines has a great quarter on the stock market. You know, they're not like stoked about it and talking about it the same way. But uh, we offer these special benefits to sports teams. Um, and the question of what the role is of local governments in retaining sports franchises is very contentious. And it's something that has changed dramatically in the last two decades. You know, um, many stadiums were built in the 60s, 70s, 80s, even the 90s uh, that were heavily subsidized by uh, look, you know, local governments, everything like that. And the conversation now is kind of shifted. And it's like, you know, if billionaires want their stadiums, they should build their own stadiums. 
Um, so, uh, and we can talk a little bit about the revenue sharing model, the NFL that I think is also important to this in, in a little bit. Oh, thanks, Rafi. How about you, Ben? Any additional, uh, additional comments on that? Yeah, I was like Rafi had mentioned earlier. I, I knew generally kind of how the NFL revenue worked. I didn't really know the, the nit and gritty of it though. And that was what was really interesting. Um, seeing how teams split money and um, what the ways that they split their money and how much each team just makes off of TV deals and sponsorships, just, just the, you know, baseline. Uh, that was what was really interesting to me. Um, in, in one of our episodes that none of these teams really are, lose you know all of these teams are making hundreds of dollars just by being an nfl team and so uh it's just really interesting to learn that and and the and really the differences in what uh teams are are preaching and the nfl is preaching versus kind of what's what we're seeing when you look at the numbers yeah that's fascinating um rafi and ben i'd appreciate you guys both sharing that i mean i've I've sort of thought about this topic and you guys, you both have uh, obviously as well. I've written on this topic uh, uh, quite a bit. And um, one article I wrote was entitled uh, presenting the case to build and maintain a successful sports franchise, uh, which is a great venue, lease market and personnel. And, um, and when you look at sort of like uh, another article I had written talked about, sort of the five key successes to landing a sports franchise. And it's all about great partnerships, having the league's blessing, uh, franchise succession plan and franchise success plan. And of course, beating the competition. It's interesting because um, with regard to like having a sports franchise, there's always these issues and numbers. It's like the Olympics. It's like, you know, what's really happening when it comes to, um, uh, when it comes to like numbers that come in and there is a huge sentimental value that I think uh, maybe numbers can't be put on uh, when it comes to a sports franchise coming into a city or leaving a city. And um, I know you probably have some additional comments on that, right, Rafi? Yeah. I mean, just speaking directly to the great venue and lease aspect of that. Um, you know, I think something that's instrumental in understanding this story is, um, you know, there were two competing plans to come to Los Angeles. There was a, a stadium in Inglewood, which has been built, the, the SoFi Stadium as we know it today. And there was a competing plan that the Chargers and Raiders were spearheading in Carson um, that was uh, potentially going to be those two teams moving to this market. Um, well, for a number of reasons that we, you know, explain in the show, uh, you know, the Inglewood plan was picked. And uh, one of the things to understand is, is that decision was made in the beginning of 2016. And the NFL went to Dean Spanos and said, you have a year to work things out in San Diego. And if you don't, we'll allow you to be the, we'll give you the first right to join the Rams in Inglewood uh, at SoFi Stadium. And your agreement is going to be that your lease is $1 a year for 20 years. And so the Chargers went back to San Diego that year and tried to put something together and obviously nothing did. And you have to also kind of look at this from the Chargers perspective and from the Spanos family's perspective and say, hey, you know, we're struggling to get a deal done in San Diego. 
uh, we can't afford to build our own stadium. And we can go to LA and Stan Kroenke's building us a stadium that we can rent for free. You know, you know, they have an agreement to contribute some of the cost of their personal seat licenses there, but that's also not a hard number. They're only contributing as much as they can sell. Um, and so when you talk about great venue and, 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 and lease, I mean, you're now in the second largest media market in the, the country uh, almost for free, uh, at least comparatively to Stan Kroenke's investment. And that was one of the things when we started making the show, I was much more skeptical about the Chargers' long-term success in Los Angeles um, because I have eyes and I was able to look at the StubHub Center and I was able to see that this was a disaster, that, that the Chargers in Los Angeles was not natural. It was not something that uh, the NFL uh, fan base was generally accepting of. It's not something that Los Angeles was accepting of. And, uh, and yet this team financially is thriving. Um, and, you know, kind of talking about what Ben was mentioning uh, with the revenue sharing model, um, you know, the NFL is uh, uh, like this loose confederation of 32 franchises. And uh, they have all banded together and decided that they will make a lot more money if they uh, sell all of their national and international TV revenue, uh, streaming revenue, and sell that collectively instead of each team's trying to sell their own rights. Um, if they sell that collectively and then split the money 32 ways, all of these billionaires will further enrich themselves. Um, and, you know, we now have a point, I think in 2018, that sort of big cake of national television streaming revenue was $8 billion. So every team, no matter what, you can have a franchise that is playing on the moon. They're getting a 30, you know, one thirty second of $8 billion. Um, and so I think that looking at how a team can relocate and struggle clearly uh, when they do and still be successful, you have to understand the business model of the National Football League. Right. That's awesome, Rafi. Yeah, that's good analysis and, and spot on. Uh, and it really goes to Ben's point earlier. Uh, and Ben, I'll give you the last word on this. Um, your point earlier about you know, initially being skeptical about the Chargers moving and sort of not liking it just from a personal fan standpoint, but then seeing that, you know, actually maybe this was a good thing, a good move for the franchise to have a, a solid home and a great market venue, you know, lease. And, um, and of course, now the, the next thing is getting great personnel. And of course, uh, you've got Justin Herbert, who is a, a star quarterback there in the making uh, and had a great, uh, you know, first year. But any uh, last thoughts on this uh, before we uh, close the show? Yeah, I mean, just off of that, uh, you mentioned Justin Herbert. One of the things that we uh, we really got from people when we talked about how can the Chargers be successful in L.A. was that you have to be successful to be successful in L.A. And you need somebody like Justin Herbert who can get fans not just not – just the Chargers fans, but people who are interested in the highlights and people who are interested in like fantasy football or other things that just like Justin Herbert because he's like the cool new quarterback to like. And, and, and that's how they're trying to be successful. And just to, 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 to put a button on that, Justin Herbert's value to the franchise is not just being a good quarterback. His value to the Chargers franchise is that he is the first 
Los Angeles Charger, who is a star. He's the first player who started and was drafted by the team once they moved to Los Angeles and is, has no connections to San Diego. And they can hang their hat on him and say he is a L.A. Charger. Uh, and I think that's going to be critical to uh, them building new fans in the future. That's awesome. And a great button that is, uh, Rafi, because we, we started out talking about San Diego and we ended up talking about Los Angeles and, and, and how it all wraps together with a nice little bow there. So uh, again, Ben, Rafi, really appreciate you two being on the show. Again, for all the listeners, uh, the show is called Bolted. It is a six-episode podcast episode series that's going to go live on uh, Tuesday, March uh, 9th. Uh, via the Believe Podcast Network. And uh, the show is by uh, Rafi Cantor and Ben Stein. Again, it's called Bolted. And you can find that on the Believe Podcast Network. So uh, thanks again, gentlemen, for coming on to the show. Uh, I'm your host, Jeremy Evans. This is the Believe uh, in Sports Law show via the Believe Podcast Network. Always appreciate you listening in and look forward to being back with you next week. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.